So I have a question. Well, I'm asking for a friend. Does God love transgender people? I'm asking for a friend. Everyone's worried all the time. What do you think we're all so worried about? If our God is the one true God, why doesn't everyone believe that? Why does God only heal some people? I'm just asking for a friend. CC, how are you guys doing this morning? Good? It's good to see each of you here, and if it's your first time, maybe you're worshiping with us online for the first time, I want to welcome you. My name is Aaron, and I'm the lead pastor here at New Community Church, and I'm so glad that you're with us. We are in our third week of this series called Asking for a Friend, and we've hit some hard topics already that we're asking for a friend, and we're looking at some different things that maybe we have questions about or we're wondering about and trying to bring answers to those. And so um, today we're going to continue with that series. I was telling my son Aiden, I was like, I think it keeps getting easier. I was hoping it'd get easier every week. And every week when I come to the message, man, it feels um, difficult as we're trying to unwrap some of these questions. But hopefully today, um, once again, God will be able to challenge us and encourage us in this. So today the question we're asking is this. Why are there so many gods, and how do we know that Christianity is real? Why are there so many gods, and how do we know that Christianity is real? This is a tough one. And so I'm going to do my best to answer some of these questions that may kind of be surrounding this question here, questions that you may have thought of, questions that friends may have asked you around this, like why are there so many different world religions and different worldviews? And try to unpack a little bit of this this morning. I remember, and a lot of what I'm going to be sharing is what I've learned over the past 20-some years. It was about 20 years ago, I was sitting in an HEB parking lot, and Sarah had run in to grab some food, and I heard this guy on the radio. I had never heard anyone talk like him before. He was a Christian apologist named Ravi Zacharias, and he began to unpack the Christian faith and explain, hey, as Christians... We should have a reason why we believe what we believe. That Christianity isn't this blind faith option of just, hey, your pastor said it or you heard it in a church, so this is what you should believe. But there are logical reasons why we believe that Christianity is true. And so I went home and at that time it was just AOL or something, but I Googled whatever I could do at that point. Hey, who is this guy? And I remembered something he had said and I found him. I found Robbie Zacharias and I went and bought his book called Jesus Among Other Gods. So I want to give this away this morning. Jeffrey, here, this is for you and your family. Um, An amazing book. Yep. And if you want to write that down, if you want to look at a little bit of what we're going to talk about this morning, Jesus Among Other Gods by Robbie Zacharias, I would encourage, it's called the Youth Edition. Um, I would encourage you to get that one, especially if you're starting, because a lot of what Robbie um, wrote was 
um, very academic, and so this reads really kind of conversational, and it's a little bit easier to kind of jump into this topic with, but um, I want to look at this. You know, as we look at different worldviews, there are all of these different worldviews out there. All of them have to answer four questions, Christianity included, and these are questions that we kind of maybe think of ourselves, but they're um, affirmed by philosophers. The first is this origin. How did we get here? So every worldview has to answer that question. Like, how did we even get here? Creation, like, how was all of this formed? They have to answer that idea of origin. The second is meaning or purpose. Why are we here? Not only how did we get here, but why are you here? Why are you even in existence? What's the meaning of this life? The third is morality. What do we do with good and evil we see in the world? Every worldview has to answer, try to bring an answer to that question. What do we do with morality, good and evil we see in the world? And the fourth is this, the future, destiny. What happens when all of this is over? What's going to take place when, this is in, when we're at the end, either the end of the world or the end of our lives as individuals? What happens? Is there something beyond death? All worldviews have to answer that question. And they have to wrestle with those ideas. And I believe Christianity brings the most coherent and cohesive set of answers to those questions there. And that's what I want to talk to you today and look at. And so all of these worldviews started because it was people trying to answer those questions. Or it was us wrestling with this idea of what do we do with these kinds of questions about the future or about how we got here, creation, and all of these things. It's trying to bring meaning and answer to these questions that we're talking about. And so we need to look, well, which of these worldviews addresses them correctly? Which one of them presents the truth to those answers? And as we start this, I want to give us somewhat of a framework to work off of. And so you may have coworkers now that are Muslim or that are Hindus or um, that are another world religion. And so I want to give us somewhat of a framework as we're talking um, to work off of. And let me start by saying this. I'm going to give us a snapshot of four of the major world religions. This is not meant to kind of single these down to what I'm going to share with you. Because there is no way we could do that within this context, okay? And that would not be an accurate picture of what these are. So this isn't meant to say, this is all they believe or this is all that there is. It's just meant to give us a framework. If we're having a conversation with someone from a different worldview, we may understand a little bit better based off of this. So the first is Islam. And those that are part of the Islamic religion, most often they're referred to as Muslims. Okay, so if you've heard that term. Um, in the places where Muslims wor worship is a mosque. So they go into a mosque, and that would be their place of worship. They have daily prayer routines, and sometimes they would attend a mosque um, to practice some of those daily prayer routines, as well as interacting with their sacred texts and with the Holy Scripture um, that they have. The God that they worship is Allah. So this is a monotheistic religion. They believe there is one true God and that his name is Allah. Um, their holy scripture is called the Quran, and that's part of their holy text. And if you ever talk with someone um, that is a Muslim and they begin to quote part of the Quran, it also shares texts with both the Christian Bible and the Jewish holy scripture. And so if you hear them talk, there is some similarities. There's references to key figures in the Quran, um, in the Jewish Bible, and then also in the Christian Bible. So there, there's some overlap there as far as kind of the historical figure there. Um, their major player or someone that's well-known within them 
would be Muhammad, and he is listed as the great prophet of Allah. And so Muhammad received divine words from Allah, is what they believe, and he wrote those down, and that's what we have in the Quran. And that's part of their holy scripture and their holy text. One of the other major world religion is Judaism. And um, people that are of the Jewish faith, they would worship in a synagogue. So if you've ever heard someone mention, hey, I'm going to synagogue, and they're Jewish, that's what that is. They would attend synagogue on Saturdays because that's their Sabbath. And so from Friday evening to Saturday evening, they honor that as the Sabbath, and they worship God in a synagogue. They come together. The God of the scriptures is Yahweh. And so if you've heard that term, that, that's the Jewish God um, that they believe in. Their holy scripture is the Tanakh. And so that's what they will offer, often reference as that. If you've heard the Torah, that is the first five books of the Tanakh. That's what the Torah is. And the Tanakh is the, in the Christian um, Bible, what we would many times call the Old Testament. So it is exactly they, those same books. So if you're like, do they have different books, added books? No, it's the exact same books that we have within our Christian Bible that many times are referenced as the Old Testament. That is the Tanakh and the Holy Scriptures. Um, major kind of individuals in the Jewish faith would be Abraham as kind of birthing the Jewish people and the, the father of the nation of Israel and the Jewish people, Moses, King David, and then there are a whole lot of prophets that are a part of their scriptures and their spiritual heritage. Hinduism is another major world religion, and their places of worship are called temples. And so they would go to a temple. Um, many times there are statues of different gods in those temples that they will um, worship and pay honor to. Hinduism is a polytheistic religion. So they have many, many gods. And, and I can't go through them all um, here this morning. But some of the gods that are maybe more well known are Brahma, Krishna. And then there are once again a, a whole lot of, of gods that people worship. Their holy scriptures are the Vedas, the Upanishads, and then there are other holy texts um, that they would refer to along their spiritual journey. Gandhi is a well-known world figure. He was a well-known world figure. So he's not the founder of Hinduism, if you've maybe thought that or wondered that. So he's not in any way the founder, but he's just someone that is well-known that was a practicing Hindu um, when he was alive here, a well-known world figure. Christianity. And I know some of you may think, well, we don't need to go over this, but we do have people that email the church and that are worshiping with us online that aren't Christians yet. And so I want to provide a little bit of context if you're just starting out in your spiritual journey or if you have questions about Christianity and you're joining us. We are so thankful that you're entering into this conversation with us. And so Christians worship um, in a place like we are in that's called a church. And so that's our place of worship. We worship the same God that the Jewish people acknowledge, which is Yahweh. We believe that he is the one true God. And a distinction there is we believe that God is presented to us through the Trinity. And if you've ever heard that, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that is not three separate gods. Okay, We don't believe that there are three different gods acting apart and separate from each other. We believe that they are within unity, that they have always existed. And so that's where we get that term kind of Trinity. It's the three of them coming together in that. So one God who's represented um, in that picture that we see in Scripture. The Holy Scripture is the Bible. And so there's what I mentioned of the Hebrew Scripture, the Tanakh, the Old, the Old Testament part of that, and then also the New Testament. 
the story of Jesus in the writings of the apostles um, in the letters to the churches that are there. And then kind of major individuals within the Christian faith, Jesus, Paul, Peter, many of the Old Testament leaders um, that I mentioned along with the Jewish faith is where Christianity has its roots in there. So that's, a, once again, a small snapshot. And when you hear people talk about this and you can see, oh, wait, there's some similarities there. There are people that would say, oh, these world religions, they're all basically the same. That's what they are. You know, they're, they're kind of, there may be subtle differences there, but many people would say, well, there's kind of surface differences, but deep down, they're really the same. And I would say the opposite of that is true. There are surface level similarities, but deep down at their teachings and at the core of who they are, they are fundamentally different. And so if you have heard um, famous people, world leaders, pop stars say, hey, we all need to just coexist, okay? All these religions are simply ways to heaven. They're all kind of pointing to God. They're all pointing to be good people, like we should all be good people towards each other. And so they're all the same. We just need to coexist. That's why war happens is over religion and those different things. And we need to all just get along. That is not in any way true, okay? And that's not taking into account the worldview of many people around this world that would say, no, all of these religions cannot be true. They just can't be. There's too many fundamental doctrine contradictions, even within Christianity itself, where Jesus makes that claim that he is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way besides him. All of a sudden excludes every other world religion and worldview. So all of these cannot at the same time be the same. They could all be false. That's a possibility. But all of them cannot be true at the same time. And it's important that we understand that. Once again, it does not honor even other worldviews, not only Christianity, but other worldviews, when we try to just lump them all together and say, well, they're all kind of talking about the same thing. No, there are very distinct differences within these worldviews. So how do we know that Christianity is real? Like, how do we know that it's not the Islamic faith in Allah? Or how do we know that it's not the Hindu faith with many of their gods that they worship? How do we see this and I don't have time to break down every world religion and so let me present this let me present why I believe Christianity is true and I think within that you may hear will hear some of the things that you may know or have heard with other religions that do not bring a good set of answers or truth to to their worldview and their perspective and so we're going to look at how the cross of Jesus brings an answer that no other world religion or worldview brings and what we have to understand about the Christian faith. So the first idea that I want to give to you, and I want to encourage you to take notes if you're not already doing that, because you guys, we're going to be interacting with these conversations more and more. And that's the beauty of the nation that we live in. It is very diverse. And so there are people from a lot of different worldviews. And so we want to be able to have these conversations of, hey, why do we feel Christianity stands apart from that? In John chapter 14, verse 6, is this Bible verse that I just mentioned where Jesus answered this group of people and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. Within that statement Jesus was making, he was being exclusive. He was. And before we jump into the idea, well, is Christianity the only worldview that is exclusive? No. 
Almost every worldview out there is exclusive. It's saying, hey, we have the truth. We have the answers. This is the way um, to, once again, be a moral person, to answer the existence of what happens after life, to enter into paradise or heaven or nirvana or some other state. Jesus was affirming what other worldviews affirm, that there is only one way. And Jesus was stating, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so I want us to look at what the cross and what that statement means and the power of that statement that Jesus gives. Jesus is saying he is the only way. Jesus is the only way, that there is no other way into heaven except through him. That he is God's plan of salvation. He is God's plan of redemption. In Romans chapter 5 verse 8, the Bible's talking about this. God demonstrates his love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And what the power of the cross gives us, the picture of the cross gives us, is Jesus was claiming that through the cross, through what he did by suffering, by dying, by taking our place, that that was the only way to gain access into heaven. Now, I want you to stop and think about that statement Jesus has made, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Josh McDowell, in a book that he wrote, said it like this. He was either Lord, liar, or lunatic. He's like, let's sum up the life of Jesus. Either Lord, liar, or lunatic. And here's what he said. He was either Lord. Jesus was who he claimed to be. He was either the son of God and he could do the miraculous, which gave him the ability to forgive the sins and the wrong in our heart. That makes him Lord. That means that he has the right to do that because he actually was the son of God. Or he was a liar. He knew he wasn't the son of God and he was purposely manipulating and deceiving people into believing him so he could become popular, so he would be famous, so he would be well-known. But he was a liar and he was manipulating people he can't just be a good person or he's a lunatic. He isn't the son of God, but he really believes that he is. And once again, he's getting people to follow him, but he is out of his mind and what he is saying is not true. So this whole idea that you maybe have heard of, well, Jesus wasn't really God, but he was a good person or he was just a good teacher or he was a great moral spiritual leader. None of that can be true. He's either Lord, liar, or lunatic because he said that I am the way I am the truth and I am the life no one comes to the father except through me there is no other way and you guys this sets Christianity apart in this idea here of what Jesus is stating in him saying no other worldview no other world religion none of their spiritual leaders claim to be the answer except Jesus this sets Christianity apart. So Muhammad is not claiming that he is the answer to their salvation. He is a great prophet that's presenting the word of Allah. In Hinduism, you have great leaders. Even Buddha wasn't saying, I am the salvation. He was saying, I've reached a state of enlightenment. Jesus was the only one claiming, you will not get to God unless you come through me. That's what sets Christianity apart. I am the only way. Now, I want you to stop and think about Christianity if there are more other options, if there are other options out there. As some of you guys know, I live in Forney, and if you've ever driven from Forney to Mesquite, traffic is absolutely horrible. So I don't know what they're doing with 80, but they need to do something different because there are constant car wrecks, and I get up early, so I'm usually headed in around 6.30 or 6.45 to the church. It should take me 10 minutes, and sometimes it takes me like 45 minutes. And I'm not kidding you. So there are other options. I can drive down 20 because of where I live at in Forney. And when I come up 20, sometimes like I can go 
Lawson or I can go Beltline or Pioneer. There are a number of options. What if I came to you and said, hey, I found a faster way, but it would require that I sacrifice my kids? Yeah, that would sound horrible, right? Like what kind of idiot would take that option? And that's what people think about Christianity. Imagine God saying, I'm going to allow my son to be beaten, to be tortured, to be betrayed, to face one of the most excruciating forms of torture ever invented by man because 50 ways to heaven isn't enough. I want 51. That would make him a horrible God, wouldn't it? To say there are a lot of other ways, but I'm going to put my son through this just because I want one more way. I want one more option. And so, yeah, you could be a Muslim, you could be a Hindu, you could be of the Jewish faith, you could be all of these, but I'm going to put my son through this just because I want one more way. That would make God a very cruel and horrible God. And so that's why we have to look at the claim of Christianity when he says, no, I am the only way. There was no other option. There was no other way. He is saying Christianity stands apart because of that. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says this, Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And you guys, it can't just be, well, I believe really hard or I'm really sincere in my faith. We can be sincere and we can be sincerely wrong. And the claim of Christianity is there is no other way. There's no better answer than the cross to bring us back into right relationship with God. And it was only the work of what Jesus did. That's why when he says, I am the way, we have to ask that question. Either he was Lord, liar, or lunatic. What do we believe? What do we actually believe? The second thing where Jesus says, I am the truth. Jesus is the truth. I referenced this a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about does God love transgender people? But John 18, 37, Jesus is interacting with this Roman official and he says this, you say that I am a king. In fact, I was born for this and came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. We have to look at the truth that Christianity is presenting and how it stands apart from other worldviews and other world perspectives. And one of the major questions that people ask is, well, how do we know that God is real? Like when we see evil in the world, how do we understand that God is truthful, that God is the real answer to the evil that we see in the world? And so what does the cross say about the evil? What is the truth that Christianity is presenting? What was the truth that Jesus was living in that way when it comes to evil existing in the world? See, sometimes we think evil is out there somewhere. Evil is some dictator. It's some nation, right? It's some group of people that is exploiting or hurting maybe women or children or the oppressed. That evil is out there somewhere. But the cross shows us that evil is not just an external problem, it's an internal problem. I believe I've shared this story before, but there was a well-known English journalist named Malcolm Muggridge. And this is before he came to faith in God. He was um, a journalist for a newspaper in England, and he was serving in India. And so he's up early one morning, and he's walking along a river in India... Once again, not a believer, doesn't believe in God at this point. He's walking along this river, and he sees a young Indian woman bathing early in the morning. And 
As a young man, he has all these feelings in his heart, and he thinks, I'm going to go and solicit her for a romantic encounter. And something inside of him, he said, I didn't know what it was, told him, that's not right. You shouldn't do that. But he said, my urges overcame. And so I jumped into the river. I began to swim towards her. And he's like, I'm thinking of what this encounter is going to be like and and what's what's about to happen. And he said, I pop up out of the water. I'm about 10 feet from her when all of a sudden I'm in a state of shock. Because this woman that from a distance looked very beautiful up close had leprosy. The skin disease had eaten away at her nose, her lips, her eyes looked sunken in. Her fingers were simply nubs on her hand. And he said, I'm sitting there thinking in my mind, oh, what a horribly ugly woman. When all of a sudden God's spirit spoke to me and said, no, what a horribly ugly heart you have. He said, I realized for the first time after being a journalist, writing about all the evil and cruelty in the world, evil doesn't exist out there. It exists in here. It's inside of me. The disease was in my heart and I did not have an answer for it. I had no way to reconcile myself to God. And that's the truth of the cross. No other world religion has the cross. No other world religion brings an answer through sacrifice and through suffering and through the forgiveness of God and the grace of God inside of our lives. When you ask a Hindu or a Buddhist about forgiveness and evil, they say, no, it's karma. It's karma. You work harder. You try to be good on your own. You try to do better. And maybe in some future life, you'll come out ahead. You ask a Muslim about that. No, you don't know about forgiveness. It's will your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. And hopefully when you get to paradise, Allah will see the good that you've done and it'll outweigh the bad. In the Jewish faith, it's can you live up to the law? Can there be sacrifices to somehow amend you with God? It's only in the Christian faith that the worldview acknowledges we are broken and we can't fix ourselves. That's the truth of Jesus We were so broken and we can't make ourselves better. We can't come to God and try to be good enough on our own. And that's the truth that Jesus is presenting. There is wickedness in our heart. There is evil inside of us. And Jesus steps up and says, I'll pay the price. Every other world religion teaches you have to try to be good enough. Christianity says you'll never be good enough. God will place his righteousness on you. He'll offer forgiveness. He'll offer grace. He'll take your sin upon himself. He'll become the punishment. He'll become the sacrifice for the wrong that you and I committed against God. See, that's the truth of Christianity that no other world religion offers. It's that there is a cross. It's that we're not good enough on our own. We could never be, and God offers us his forgiveness And it seems foolish. That's all we have to do. We don't have to work harder. We don't have to try to earn God's love. No, we never can. Paul, this writer in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. He's saying, I've realized what the cross is. I've realized what the cross means. I've realized that I can't work hard enough. As a Jewish leader, he was trying to work hard enough to be good for God. And he's like, I realize I can't. It's only the power of the cross, the forgiveness of God. There's a poem that was written by an elementary teacher. This is what it says. The young child came to my desk with a quivering lip. The lesson was done. 
He said, have you a new teacher? Have you a new sheet for me, dear teacher? I've spoiled this one. I took his sheet all soiled and blotted and gave him a new one all unspotted. And into his tired heart, I cried, do better now, my child. And the elementary teacher said, I went to the throne of God with a trembling heart. The day was done. Have you a new day for me, God? I've spoiled this one. He took my day all soiled and blotted and gave me a new one all unspotted. And into my tired heart, he cried, do better now, my child. Christianity is the only worldview that gives us a picture that when we mess up our lives, God offers forgiveness and he gives us a new life and he gives us a fresh start and he offers his forgiveness for what it is that we're walking through. It's only through the cross that we see the truth of what evil is and how God answers it. The last thought is this, Jesus brings abundant life. Jesus brings abundant life. In John 10, 10, it says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. In John 10, 27 and 28, he says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall not perish and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. See, Jesus offers us abundant life that after this life is done, what you and I have done, it, it matters. That there is life beyond just physically here on this earth. And that God wants to give us this rich, full life. Not to just start at some point in the future, but that begins right now. An abundant life in your work, in your family, in what you do. That the way that we live, it matters to God. Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. Let me share one more story with you and then close. The author that I mentioned at the beginning that I gave away his book, Ravi Zacharias, he had the opportunity to speak at Oxford and Cambridge to world leaders at world conferences. And he said, I was invited to a world summit where I'm sitting in the room with world leaders, dictators, people from all different walks of life and different worldviews, world religions, different faiths. And he said, I was struggling of God. What do I share? Like, what do I present? How do I connect with so many different from people from so many different worldviews, so many different perspectives? So he said, I spent my 20 minutes, I spent about the first 15 to 16 minutes just talking about what we all feel. We all feel the effects of evil. We turn on the news. We see the horrors that are happening. We see the wars that are going on. We see famine, all of this. We see people being oppressed. We see the evil in our world and that feeling leads to this desire of justice like something should happen right for the wrong that has been committed for what's taking place someone should have to answer for the oppression and the pain that others have felt we have this feeling and this desire to be loved and to give love with family with friends in relationships that we have like we are people that deep down we desire to be loved there's this feeling inside of us he said, as world leaders, you're going to mess up. All world leaders do. And you're going to want people to be gracious, to offer forgiveness. All of us want that in our life when we make a mistake. And he said, in the last two minutes, I pointed out to these leaders, there's only one place and one time in history where all of these converged at one point, And it's in the cross of Christ. On the cross, evil was answered. 
your sin and my sin. It was answered there. We can't be good enough. And Jesus said, I'll be the sacrifice. The justice of God was met on the cross. The the wrong that we had committed when we had this massive debt against God that we could not pay, Jesus said, I will take your place. I'll take your punishment upon myself. Love was answered. A God who so desperately wanted to be in relationship with you that he was willing to pay whatever price it took to be in close relationship with you. Forgiveness. God's saying, I will remember your sin no more. I'll remove it far from you and far out of my memory. It's only in the cross that all of these feelings that are present in our life, no matter what your position, title, or who you are, it's only answered in the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's why I believe that Christianity stands apart from any other worldview or any other world religion. It's because of what God has done for us. It's because the beautiful picture of what Christ shows us, the love that he demonstrated on the cross, that we couldn't do it on our own. And God came and paid the sacrifice. And I want to just encourage you, if you're a follower of Christ, if you're someone that calls yourself a Christian, we are called to reflect God's love to a world that is hurting and broken. We don't do that by being disrespectful, by being argumentative, by just trying to prove our point and being right. We do that by love. I want you to hear that, church. We do that by love. How did Jesus come? He came demonstrating God's love. And so that is not to say we do not believe that, well, every world religion is true and they're all headed to heaven. No, that's not what we believe. But we want to reflect the love of God to people that are hurting, to people that are asking questions of the truth. We want to be an example of God's love in such a powerful way that they would see the power of the cross and that their hearts would be open to what God has done. And so I want to pray for us this morning. I'm going to ask if you would take a moment and bow your head and close your eyes. And you may be here in this room or maybe you're joining us online and you're worshiping with us and you feel disconnected from God. Maybe your worldview is different than one that I've mentioned or talked about this morning. But you've never imagined a God who loves you, who wants to be near to you. Maybe you've never even heard the story of Jesus coming and giving his life for you because you and I can't be good enough on our own. But I'm telling you, there is a God who deeply desires to be in relationship with you. Who was truthful in his words when he said, I'm making the way so that you can come back into right relationship with God. There is no other way except through me. And if that's you, if you would be honest and say, I don't have a relationship with God, but Aaron, I want to get to know the God that you're talking about. I want to know Jesus and what God wants for my life. Then I want to lead you in a prayer. And I'm going to invite all of us to pray this together this morning, that we would all say this together because we don't want anyone praying alone. So repeat this after me. 
Jesus, I come to you. I need you in my life. I can't do this on my own. And I know I'm not good enough. So I admit that I've sinned. And I pray for your forgiveness. Give me a brand new start. I pray this in your name. Amen. Now, church, can you just put your hands together and celebrate? The Bible says this, that if you prayed that prayer in your heart, that heaven's rejoicing, that heaven's celebrating, God wants to be in relationship with you. And so we are so excited for that decision that you made this morning. And I want to lead us in one more prayer. But I say this every week. I don't want you to just listen to my words, but would you have a conversation with God? And maybe something I shared this morning, God's challenging you or encouraging you in. And just have an honest conversation. God, this is how I need you to be present in my life. Or it may be a conversation that you want to have with someone else. You know someone that's not following God, that hasn't experienced the love of God. And you want to share what God is doing in your life. Well, we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit for help that he would lead and guide our conversations as we talk to people that maybe from other world views or have other world religious viewpoints and we want to be people of truth and love that God would use us so let's pray together this morning church God we come before you and Lord I thank you for the beauty of the gospel Lord I thank you for the truth of what you've said in your word and Lord we're asking for grace Lord, we don't have all the answers. We don't always know, God, how to answer every question. But Lord, we want to be people that reflect your love, that speak your truth, God, and that are gracious to those that are looking and seeking for you, Lord, and that need your love in their life. So I pray, help us. Holy Spirit, give us boldness when we need to step out and speak the truth, God. Don't let us be timid, Lord. Don't let us hold back when we need to say words of truth, God. Lord, when we need to be gracious, help us to be gracious, Lord. Let us see those moments to reflect your love and your compassion, God, and your kindness to those that desperately need that, Lord. We want to be an example, Jesus, of you in this world that needs to experience you in such a powerful way. So let your love shine through us, God. Let your compassion flow through us. I pray this in your name. Amen.